Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. Oh man, it's been a while since we heard our Kraftwerk theme, and it's been a while since we've talked to you guys. Hello, welcome to the Elevensies episode of Market Sarah Talk About Songs. I'm your co-host, Sarah D. Bunting, and I am here with the span flandiferous, elevenorific Mark Blankenship. Hello, Mark. There might Some might say, here are 10 things I hate about you, but Sarah, there are 11 things I love about you. Oh, thank you so much. Um, one of the things I love about you is how good you are at explaining concept episodes. Would you like to do so for our listeners now? So some of you who have been listening to us for a while might remember that about 18 months ago, we released a book called Madonna A to Z, in which we did an alphabetical listing of 26 chapters, uh, each chapter starting with a different letter of the alphabet, each chapter exploring a different aspect of Madonna's legacy. You can buy that book at Mark and Sarah talk about songs.com. Now, when we were writing that book, another idea that we had for a potential book was exploring songs that peaked at number 11 on the hot 100, because 11 is probably the most devastating place to have a song peak on the hot 100, because <laughs> you're so close to having a top 10 hit. And then you don't quite get there. Honestly, Sarah, I think that would be the worst. Some people think that peaking at number two is also terrifying, but I, I disagree. To me, 11 is the Bermuda Triangle of the chart. It, I'm with you. I mean, I, I have a fondness for 11. 22, which is a multiple, is um, my lucky number. So um, I sort of have a secret fondness for like total anonymous that peaked at 22 and it's like oh you know the follow-up to don't worry be happy continue not worrying <laughs> be- i mean that that california raisins cover of heard it through the grapevine peaked at number 22 or something <laughs> i mean look um it's it's not rational but it's how i feel but uh, yeah i feel like number two especially with some of the ones like in the 70s that were just blocked by disco and are like hey um like I I think that there's an argument to be made that at least you're in the conversation, but number eleven is roof. Roof stoof. Yes. It is roof stoof, and yet lots of great songs have peaked at number eleven. And in the grand scheme of things, we have decided not to write an entire book about this topic, but we are today doing a ranking episode of eleven songs that peaked at number eleven. And we are going to rank them to determine once and for all the all-time greatest number 11 hit. As is usual, this, of course, will have the force of law. Mm-hmm. And unfortunately, Sarah, one of the sweet, sweet pains of this episode, one song will be number 11 again. I know. I really felt like we should do like they do in hotels at the 13th floor. Just skip it and be like, you're number 12, which is like <laughs> somehow less bad. Or t- like no. ten and ten and three quarters. Number eleven is just that clip of J- L O Cool J saying Crozier. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh no, Crozier! Jesus Christ! Exactly that one. Yeah, <laughs> uh, Amen. Um, shut up, Ant. Um, so uh, 
In case you haven't listened to a ranking episode before, first of all, welcome. These are a lot of fun. Second of all, you can participate in a much more direct way. If you are a Patreon supporter, you can find all of that fun stuff at patreon.com slash plus our happy hours. But here is how these ranking episodes work. We are going to list the selected 11, uh, and we're going to discuss them in alphabetical order by song title. And as we go, we will discuss, and then we will assign a point ranking. Our number one song will have 11 points. The number two song will have 10 points on down the line. I will assign points. Mark will assign points. The Patreon supporters will also assign points based on a poll that we provided to them. This is what I mean about participating more directly. Democracy. It's fun. And at the end, Mark will do some arithmetic. I will provide some interstitial music. And then the results, as Mark mentioned, will have the force of law and um, one sad uh, 11Z will once again be out in the cold. Um, And... I don't know about you, but first of all, I probably could have written my half of our 11Z's book based on the notes I was taking about this. I got into it. Okay, Sarah, I walked into this episode very cocky, like, oh, I already know what my Uh, top five are. Yep, yep, yep. And then I sat there and I listened to the song. There's one thing where you remember a song and you think you know it but then in the experience of listening to some of these songs which i will list in a minute i realized oh shit everything is different the ceiling is the floor the floor is the ceiling mm-hmm. yeah i i believe i went on a um master's thesis rant about an absolute like a song that is considered a masterwork um, expecting it to maybe be my number 10 song. And that is not what occurred. But I, gu- I guess we should just get into it, right? Yeah, the last thing I will say is this. I, um, with these episodes, keep a handwritten chart of everybody's point values and things, and then I use that to tot up the final scores. And I kept changing <laughs> my rankings on every song so much that I had to throw away the original piece of paper because, you know, eventually <laughs> if you write four on top of five and then you write eight on top of four, it's just a nothing. So I had to start all over. That's how crazy it got people. Yeah. Same here. Um, Before we start, should we just list all the songs that we're talking about? We probably should. Yes, let's do that. So here are the 11 songs that we will be discussing that peaked at number 11. Barracuda by Heart, Doctor, Doctor by the Thompson Twins, Edge of 17 by Stevie Nicks, Eleanor Rigby by The Beatles, Get On Your Feet by Gloria Estefan, The Humpty Dance by Digital Underground, Justified and Ancient by the KLF, Featuring Tammy Wynette. We'll get to it. This is what we do for our job, people. (laughs) What a time to be alive. Anyway, I'm sorry. Please continue. (laughs) It needed to be said. Uh, Mean by Taylor Swift. On and On by Stephen Bishop. 100% Pure Love by Crystal Waters. And You Spend Me Round by Dead or Alive. And at the end of the work I had to do to figure out these rankings for myself, I couldn't tell if I was dead or alive. So how appropriate. I was completely spun around like a record baby by this process, but we have uh, we have some work to do before we get to that song. Let's begin with Barracuda by Heart, 
Mark, do, do you have any chart facts? <laughs> Where, how high did this go? Number yeah. six? <laughs> oh. uh, this is the thing I was saying to you before we started recording. I'm used to, as we're preparing for these songs, always going through the process of thinking, well, where did this peak? That'll be interesting. Nope, wait, nope, nope, number 11. We know that for a fact. And it's like my mind refuses to accept that that's true. And then I have to go, nope, nope, number 11. Mm. However, I, yeah. I do have some chart facts, Sarah. Okay. As is going to be the case, I think, with quite a few of the songs that we're discussing today, I think it's surprising that this song stopped at number 11. I think that uh, this is considered one of Hart's like seminal 80, uh, 70s hits, like yeah. when they were still in their hard rock phase before they went into their teased up hair power ballad phase and uh-huh. uh, yeah i was surprised that it stopped there well i think that's where this gets interesting in terms of the chart facts because you have some that you're like this got to 11 and then you have others that are like this stopped at 11 and yeah. there are several on the list and this is one of them that as somebody who was listening to uh 92.3 k-rock in my my youth um this and a couple of other songs on the list were played so often that to go back and be like, this stopped at 11, like, it didn't. Like, there there was a sustained sort of, like, ghost ship quality to the song's performance where it became a signature song for the artist or the band, even though it at the time it didn't rise. And right. This was such a fascinating, um, we don't have a clip of Barracuda, but this was such a fascinating prospect, like in my notes, just thinking about like 70s heart versus 80s heart and 70s charting versus 80s charting. And what um, was that iteration of the band facing in terms of competition on the charts versus um, their 80s iteration, which seemed to be much more in tune with um, the, the charting public or the charting gods whatever um i don't know that for a fact but uh i did note in my research for this and uh you can find this in the show notes that uh americansongwriter.com had this at the top of the list of uh hearts 10 signature songs this was number one i don't agree um no even i don't either even just 70s heart i don't agree i would say magic man is more typical and also just a a better song and so is crazy on you like i don't know about your experience of really like listening to this song the way we listen to songs for these episodes but like there's that signature opening and there's that guitar like like sliding down. And then the song kind of qua song, it has these like really weird rhythms where it keeps like seeming like it's building and then leveling off. Like there's the emotion on the lyrics gets sort of off the leash a little bit. Like I don't hate the song, but it's, not actually as good and classic as I ha- like had it in my mind. How did you feel? I feel the exact same way. This is a song that is so great in sections, mm-hmm. and it was those sections that I was remembering. And the song is four minutes and 20 seconds long, and I was remembering, I would say, 70 seconds of it. Yeah, I think that's and about right. 
And, you know, there's no denying the fact that Ann Wilson's voice is uh, out of this world. Yeah. And there's no denying the fact that this song has that good, heavy rock quality. And it's worth noting that unlike all of their hits in the 80s, mostly, with just a few exceptions, Ann and Nancy Wilson actually wrote Barracuda as they also wrote Magic Man. So this Mm -hmm. was a period when they were creating their own music and they have famously more than once sort of dissed their 80s hits for being part of the pop factory. And I have to say, Sarah, that I prefer the pop factory songs because they just get to the point. Well, yeah, I I think lyrically this song is um, not dark exactly, but it's an it's an angry song. Um, yes, I could be misreading it, but I feel like this narrator is resentful of the double standards imposed by sixties um, concepts of free love. Like as always, this ends up yes. punishing women, especially in music. Um, but I don't think she as the voice has control of the mm. emotion the way she does in other hits from this period um mm-hmm. and i find that extremely uh relatable but also as a piece of narrative it's not as good as it could be if she were in more control of it i will also say again this is not a bad song and i don't dislike it but s- someone had to be number 11 and Los Wilson are it. Sarah, a single point from me. Sarah D. Bunting, what the fuck is going to happen today? <laughs> Holy hell. Oh my God. I know. Okay. I'm like, whew, yeah. whole body sweat. <laughs> so <laughs> that's not where anyone else ranked it, I'm guessing no i think that i think that (laughs) we should just go ahead and buckle in for the two of us and the patrons to just completely disagree about everything today i think that's just what the the story of the day Mm -hmm. now that being said i agree with you that this song is a bit of a meander she's Mm -hmm. not in control and if you're gonna give me a 70s heart song i would choose magic man then i would choose dog and butterfly then i would choose barracuda yep now I don't think that Barracuda is a bad song, and the fact that she yowls for the for the hills is very satisfying to me. Mm-hmm. It's also worth noting that this is a song that has been covered by Fergie, who used this song to redeem the public perception that she wasn't really a great singer because of what she was being asked to do in the Black Eyed Peas. Right. So she went on American Idol and lots of other shows and sang this song for all she was worth, which was quite a lot. And Mm -hmm. then she did a one-handed cartwheel just to make a point. Sure. Which I think is pretty cool. That's neither here nor there. I mean, if I I could do a two-handed cartwheel, I would do it every day to make various points. (laughs) So, (laughs) (laughs) cartwheel-licious. How do you like this uh, polar seltzer blueberry lemonade? Well, let me show you in cartwheel form. twisting layout. Um, your school has no gymnastics team. This was a last resort. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Okay. You know what? We're here for you. Bring it on. Always. (laughs) Not cool. So anyway, I put this song dead in the middle at sixth place with Uh six points. And the patrons 
Sarah, put it all the way up in third place. Oh, boy. With nine points from the Mm -hmm. patrons. Nine times. Nine times. So, Sarah, this is Dr. Doctor by the Thompson Twins, and it's one of the songs that you brought to the table. So why don't you tell us a little bit about your Dr. Doctor journey? Um, My Dr. Doctor journey, this is one that I definitely wanted to talk about with you because this is one of those hits, one of those like early turning to mid-80s hits that I think you and I have very different experiences of like contemporaneously Mm. because in this case I was 11 and you were six right or five and a half whatever so um in addition to um being a fun like uh, you know, when they're singing the lyrics, can't you see I'm burning? And you're like, there's a cream for that. Or like, that's not love. It's crabs. Like, who doesn't enjoy responding to pop songs by addressing yourself to the radio in the console of your car and being like, have you, you know, c- gone to a clinic? That that sounds contagious. Um, but this was definitely one where I was surprised that it stopped at 11 because during this period, there was a Thompson Twins song on. It was like the Law and Order rerun of <laughs> um, like pop radio. There was a Thompson Twins song on somewhere all the time for like eight months. And this one, I feel like, was played as much as any of the others. Um, and it's not... Like other Thompson Twins stuff, like, I think maybe if you didn't live through this as a tween, it it might not be quite so relatable. I personally wore this cassette out, and some of the B-sides were absolutely my favorite. Like, Sister of Mercy is the most melodramatic, crappy C-minus of a synth explosion, but I can love it. Um, but the big hits... By the Thompson Twins, if you pull them apart, it's like, lyrically, there's a lot of um, confused symbology. Like, why is this called Dr. Doctor with two exclamation points, by the way? Yes. The primary symbology set is of the sea and semen. (laughs) I mean, you know, like it's it's a maritime image system. I really didn't know what to do with this, so I just stuck it in the middle immediately and was like, let's see what happens. And I don't, I'm fond of this song um, in a nostalgic way, but like the rest of the Thompson Twins output, it is objectively speaking, I think not terribly well built. It has not aged terribly well. Um, And I say that having, you know, had it on at dances. So. That's my experience of it, but it's only ninth for me with three points. Um, I enjoyed coming back to it, but then I played Sister of Mercy like three times after, and that that was the most fun I had with the Thompson Twins during this experience. So yeah, I am interested to hear your feelings on uh, the Twins generally and on this song specifically. I can remember quite specifically being in high school and being surprised to learn that they had ever had another song other than Hold Me Now. Right. Because the age gap between us was very crucial with regard to this type of band that was very popular for like 18 months. Yeah. And then 
they basically had their entire career reduced to one hit because right. the Thompson Twins had Hold Me Now reach the top 10. They also had the song Lay Your Hands on Me reached the top 10. Br- brutal song. Very bad. Yeah. And I actually quite like that song. Uh, this obviously peaked at number 11. So they had they had quite a few hits. They were short lived, but they were not one hit wonders. Um, and, and they were me, absolutely like a product of MTV, I would say. In oh, yeah. And like, for anyone they who had that new row look and they were like bouncing globe beach balls around in their videos. And it was like, what a 1984 vibe there. And, you know, speaking of confused symbology, for anyone who doesn't know the Thompson twins, they were not twins. It was a black guy, a white guy and a white woman. None of them related, let alone twins. <laughs> I don't think anyone was named Thompson either. No, it was like Alana Curry. Yeah, you got a Bennett in there, I think. Yeah, like Joe, this guy, and Jim, who's it? And- <laughs> Joey Bag of Donuts. Yeah. <laughs> Ooh, you know what? A bag of donuts would hit the spot. Anyway, it sure would. I so I like ten of the eleven songs that we're talking about today to one degree or another. Oh, oh, and this is in that group. Okay, okay. <laughs> I think that um, the, the, I had the experience of having this song on, and when I was actively listening to it, I couldn't get into it. But what mm. was weird is that when it was just playing while I was doing other things, I caught myself singing along to the chorus. Doctor, doctor, can't you see I'm burdened? But like, there's something about this song that works for me subconsciously more than it works consciously, if that makes sense. Yeah, it totally does. There were a lot of the um, America's Damn 40 songs that I was like, this motherfucker. And then two hours later, I'm humming it while <laughs> yes. doing the dishes. <laughs> yeah. Um. So that is why, though I have this song in 10th place, I do still have a place in my heart for Dr. Doctor. So oh we're actually not so far off on this. Tenth place from me, ninth place from you. That's two points from me, three points from you. And the patrons put it in seventh place, which gives it five points from them. Yeah, it just doesn't. This is one of those that it's like, oh, yeah, 11. That's about right. Actually, maybe a little high. Maybe this is more of a 14, but whatever. Right. Good point. So next, Sarah, we have a song that interestingly, like, one other song in this countdown was sampled in a song that later went to number one. Mm-hmm. So there are two songs on this countdown that peaked at number 11, but were later utilized in number one hits. This is Edge of 17 by Stevie Nicks. It was used uh, as a sample in Bootylicious by Destiny's Child, and uh-huh. that song went to number one. Yeah. And <clears throat> Edge of 17 is another one of those songs that I cannot believe, given its cultural impact, that it stopped at number 11. I feel like I hear this song nine times a day. There are two movies named Edge of 17, yeah. one about gay kids and one about straight girls. There's just like Edge of 17. There's a there's a really great scene in the movie Rock of um, School of Rock where Joan Cusack's character gets drunk and dances to this song uh-huh. in a bar. Like... Sarah, I, I feel like in this is a top five hit in its cultural impact. And interestingly, Stevie Nicks' biggest song as a solo performer is a song called Talk to Me that peaked at number four, which is a great song, but has nowhere near the staying power of this song that peaked at number 11. Yeah, this, um, I mean, first of all, let me interrupt um, the the specific discussion to say that we don't have a clip for a while. And I apologize for that. That's why I keep dropping in stuff from random stuff from our soundboard, like shut up and clips. Um, Because usually the, you know, we 
select clips for what we feel needs to be clipped. And usually there's something in the first couple of songs and that hasn't happened this time. And I apologize. But I also feel like a lot of the songs we've talked about so far don't need clipping necessarily. Right. And we've got plenty of clips in the back half. Don't yeah. y'all worry. And uh, this this is one of them. Um, this song, I-, I was reading, I forget where, that the, the lyric came from Stevie Nicks reading like a Phoenix restaurant menu, like of all things. And then this lyric is such densely braided it's like um it's in the rhiannon verse i guess Mm. for lack of a better term but it's so much more densely elusive and um like evolved uh and i definitely did not remember like that opening guitar chop is legend um yes but then her vocal is rough like her just her voice her timbre sounds like she's been gargling broken glass um yes to like you would have expected this from a like late 80s single but this was 1980 right so yes like she was she hadn't even left Fleetwood Mac as far as I can tell like for someone who wasn't even I think she was like 35 when this came out and she sounds 60 um which I think bolsters the i think um sort of deepens the narrator's persona um with this song so uh, like i have a lot of respect for this song i think it does a lot of things well and as a poem i think it's really wonderful yeah it's a really great evocation of the strangeness of being right on the edge of adulthood falling for someone because you think they're broken and you can help them and then it all creates this flurry of wing beats inside of you that just basically tears you apart in a way that you almost enjoy. Yeah. Um, so I'm, I may have ranked this too low and, um, I will probably be drawn and quartered by the listeners for where I did put it, but lyrically and sort of, um, on the, on the basis of like background information, uh, I have a lot of respect for the song and think it's a good poem. Orally, uh, it starts to turn into this like sonic wash with no terrain about halfway mm-hmm. through. Like there's just no, you're just in the same place. There's no momentum to it. Uh, again, I don't dislike it, but it becomes increasingly difficult as the song continues to get a handhold on anything about it versus like reading about it. So like I'm engaging with it um, intellectually and uh, creative, like editorially, let's say, but emotionally I'm kind of like that this needs to, this needs to pull back or push forward, but it's just like static orally. So it's eighth for me, four points. Well, we're in, very close sync on this because I feel like her vocal on this is bad. It's just, <laughs> it's just bad. It yeah. is unpleasant to listen to. Mm-hmm. It sounds shitty. She has had excellent vocals on other songs. Stand back a song we've talked about on this yes. show before from the very same album, Belladonna that this song is on. She sounds great. Yeah. On all of those like live, uh, songs from the dance that, uh, 
Fleetwood Mac released it later in the 90s. She sounds great, but this to me is just really unpleasant. There's like a honking, drunken quality to it that yeah, I Yeah, like. hungover, I was going to say, but yeah, you're you're right on, I think. And even more than Barracuda, this is a song that is great for 30 seconds, and mm-hmm. then it just goes on and on and on. And for me, B- Destiny's Child, by picking that guitar chop up, and making that into the loop on which they sang Bootylicious did the right thing because that's the best part. Well, also the ooh, baby, ooh, baby, ooh part. Mm-hmm. So if this song were like 55 seconds long, great. Mm-hmm. But it is so formless. And I keep waiting for something to happen in the song to change it. And it doesn't change. It's it's yeah. the, 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 the musical bed doesn't change and her vocal quality doesn't change because, you know, obviously lots of songs are built on looped samples but then the vocals are the things that are dynamic but this is just the same thing for like seven and a half minutes so for me i actually put it lower than you sarah i put it in ninth place three points well i wonder Um, if there's because we talked about this i forget which episode it was but there was something about um it's your thing that you're like here's the danger of starting with this um absolutely um, sui generis guitar lick like this or like Eye of the Tiger or like It's Your Thing, this is the danger. Like you have to come in behind it hard with all with all your people. And if you don't, then it, then it just kind of is a B minus. Yeah, and you know, Eye of the Tiger is a great example of how it can work out in your favor. Yeah. Because a lot happens after that amazing opening section. Yeah. Um, I actually went into this episode thinking this was going to be in my top three. Oh, because so I was did just I. Like, oh, yeah. Edge Absolutely. But uh, here we are near the bottom, except the patrons completely disagree with us. They put it all the way up in second place, mm. which means it gets 10 points from them. Yeah. I mean, fair. I just don't. Yeah, I don't know. Like on the close read, it was like, I can't, I just kept finding songs that I liked better than it. Yep. So me too. I kept, what kept happening to me is I would think, well, I like the, I like parts of this song, but I don't like the whole thing. And I can't justify putting something that I feel meh about Mm. for 85% of its running time high up on my ranking. Yeah. Fair. And that's why we do this shit. That's exactly right. So we can get to the truth. Now, <laughs> those of you who have listened to this show uh, with any consistency may have rem- may have heard me talk about my general lack of interest in the music of the Beatles. I typically have nothing. I have no time for them. I've very rarely in my life have I ever for pleasure listened to a Beatles song. In fact, I don't know that I ever have thought that I would like to listen to a Beatles song just for fun. I only ever do it if I have to. And (laughs) I don't have time to relitigate all of that, but go back and find our ranking episode of Sergeant Pepper's Lonely Hearts Club Band, where I went on a long journey. Now, that being said, Sarah... Well, and that was it. I knew at the time that I was like, I get one shot at this shit with Mark, so we have to pick the album wisely because he is not coming back here with me, so... That's right. Thank you for your service. Well, you're welcome. Now, that being said, I love Eleanor Rigby. It is, to me, the exception that proves the Beatles rule for me. I think this song, first of all, lyrically, is so haunting and beautiful. 
it is, as the chorus says, about these two lonely people. And it's so, so good at immediately telling you so much about these people. This poor, sad woman who dies and the only person who's there is the priest that no one cares about and who is reduced to just knitting his socks at night. And he can't even save anyone when he goes to her graveside because there's no one there and her name is forgotten. His work is forgotten. The implication is that all of us are forgotten. It's like Ozymandias in pop song Mm -hmm. form. And the fact that this song is only accompanied by strings, there's Mm -hmm. no drums, there's none of that, and yet is so propulsive and is also, I think, beautifully balanced by the singing that Paul McCartney does. I think this song is exquisite, and I am shocked that it stopped at number 11. Mm. I really think that this is a, a, a true masterpiece of pop music. And that said, it is not my number one, but it is my number two with 10 points. I cannot believe it, Sarah. Here we are. When given a choice, I put a Beatles song in second place. What the fuck is happening? Um, this was one that I expected to have to rank like 43rd because I immediately like saw it on the list and tensed. Um, here's a little background. I, in theory, have never enjoyed this song because uh, the way one of the ways that I made um, a little pocket money my junior and senior years in college, um, where at my university, everyone was required to write a JP, the junior paper, and a senior thesis. There was no honors thesis. Everybody had to do it except like engineers and even they had to do a project. Um, my senior thesis was poetry. I showed it to no one, but I picked up money proofreading and copy editing people's JPs and theses. And many, 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 many people in the Princeton English department wrote their theses on Bob Dylan's Hattie McCarroll and this. I mean, you know, nice work if you can get it, but I, by the age of 21, was completely exhausted by academic, aspirant academic thought on Bob Dylan and this song. So I was brace. I was loaded for bear when I when I put this back on um, and was like, oh, you know, it's so simplistic, like all the lonely people, whatever. It's so sophomoric. It, it really isn't. Nope. This is a this is a masterwork of underplaying imagery for starters. Uh, these are good, lasting images that, in the same way that my brother and I were like, big whoop, a focus pull about Citizen Kane, and my mother's like, that motherfucker invented that shit, get yourselves correct. Um, th- this is why we think that images about like keeping your face in a jar by the door, that you're like, yes. and then you're like, oh. And then the the image of the priest darning his sock, and it's like nobody cares. You may as well not do it. But there's a um, there is like a novella about post war privation in Britain in that line that people were having to like re knit. Like you just didn't go out and buy socks on a vicar's salary. Uh, it is extremely impressive in its sophistication from lyricists and i believe there is some disagreement as to who wrote the bulk of this um let's call it a joint joint 
from John and Paul. Because I will tell you, that is the part where my brain starts to shut off and also my vital organs start to shut down. Parsing the Lennon-McCartney contributions, I do not give a flying rusty fuck about that. So yeah. yes, let's just um, agree. I don't either, it's except fucking justice for Paul. Um, but <laughs> whoever it was, these were, these men were 23. Um they had had, and to talk about lonely people when neither of these men had had maybe two minutes in a row to himself in, like, since they got famous a few years before that, um, and that that in itself is extremely alienating. Yes. And for them to th- sort of throw their narrative voices into this other version of loneliness is extremely impressive from people that age. Uh and how confident is this song and how confident was George Martin that he's like, nope, we're just going to put the strings in there. You're going to sing. It's going to be fine. And you're going to be in and out in, in 127 seconds. It's two minutes and seven seconds long. That is some brass balls on this well, on this production. It's amazing. And, and it works. And at the risk of writing a, a, a JP right here, another lyric, another, I think, really great example of what they accomplished lyrically is in the very last line of the song, the last line of the last verse. Father McKenzie wiping the dirt from his hands as he walks from the grave. No one was saved. Now, another writer might have might have illustrated the point of him throwing the dirt on her grave. Mm-hmm. But to choose to bring us into the image at the moment where he's wiping the dirt from his hands and walking away. It's so lonely. And I can, for some reason in my mind, the sky is gray and overcast. There's no way this is happening on a sunny day. Yep. And there's something so it's kind of tied into what you said about the socks. Like if there was no one there to watch, he didn't have to throw that dirt on the grave, but he did. And he's just, there's something so desolate about the lonely earth falling from his hands as he walks back and probably it's raining and then to follow that with no one was saved is so fucking bleak because it also means that eleanor wasn't saved he wasn't saved it's just so there's this certain there's a certain amount of nihilism in what's happening right there it's like these practices of domestic care like knitting your socks these practices of putting on a face to show to the world, these practices of faith and ritual, they mean nothing. And that is fucking dark from the band that three years ago was saying, I just want to hold your hand. I want to hold your hand. Well, you know, and and this is probably why it stalled out at number 11 is that this was from a revolver. I think I, I get revolver and rubber soul confused because frankly, I don't care. So no, it is. It is. It's from revolver. Okay. Yes. And it was, I think they were having some trouble charting at this point because this was too big a departure from the like mopped up shit that everybody fell in love with. And they were like, well, you know, we can't do that forever enough. Like love, love me do or don't. We don't give a shit. We're climbing a mountain and going to see the Maharishi. So the imagery that holds up the best is extremely specific, but also there's all this room in the background of the shot, so to say. Like, when you think about Father McKenzie walking around, like, or walking away from the grave, like, off, just out of frame, there are workers 
waiting to fill in the hole. Right. Um, but there's no contact between anyone else who might be in this story. You know, like everybody is in their own like foosball man lane, right. not interacting with other lanes. And then, you know, to dirt we shall return. And there's no there's no discussion. And all of this. And I know exactly what you mean about the gray sky, those clouds that are like low enough to touch f- fucking classic English shit. That, that they got all of this done. And and this is a pop song? I know. And like this is some fucking think beat about... poet shit that they should have been laughed off the charts for, but it was like, well, the beat it's the Beatles, we'll give it a shot. Like this is really unbelievably sophisticated and a quantum leap forward from what they were doing before. I am a little embarrassed to say I only put it at number three, but I am shocked. That I put it at number three. And I'm also grateful that I got to sit with this again and change my mind about it. I have to say that even in talking to you about it now, I'm appreciating this song even more than I did when I already had it at number two. And I am because I'm also now thinking about how good it what a good choice it was on George Martin's part to just make it a string bed. Mm -hmm. Because the, 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 the imagery in the song is so delicate that if they had put. Like so too, if they had been too overt in making music that sounded heavy, it would have actually, I think, destroyed some of what they accomplished here. Well, and, and the number of ways it could go wrong with this lyric, you're so right. Like, just imagine like a bongo and then a long pause, and it's like Eleanor Rigby, man. Like, yeah, this exactly this could have been some fucking Shatner spoken word album, <laughs> and it it's not. It has a excellent ear for what its story is and it gets in and out of it at exactly the right times. Perfect. And then the last thing I will say about this is I also am struck by the fact that you could frame this song differently if you wanted. You, if, if you were a different writer or you were perhaps Paul McCartney and John Lennon on a different day, you could frame it as an act of valor that these people continue to go through the rituals of being alive. Yes. That you darn your socks in spite of the gloom you throw the dirt Mm -hmm. on the ground in spite of the absence of other people because damn it that is how you make your life have meaning and dignity and you know that is in fact a way to find a certain type of salvation and i also think that the lightness here of this touch that they have with this nihilistic viewpoint means that it, it makes it easier for us to have a conversation with what they're saying and decide whether or not we agree with it because the song that is heavy and loud tries to force you to agree with it in a certain way. But a song like this that comes in on a, something of a whisper invites you to think for yourself and to, I just love that. I appreciate it so much. It's just, uh, so good. Yeah. I mean, there's a lot of Beatles stuff. that's like, it's not that deep guys. They were just on drugs. This is really something and is worth studying and writing about. And I will also say that the the continuation of the ritual, um, even in the absence of other people, in, you know, in even in a community of one, you know, that last line, which is like, where do they all belong? Right. It, it, it presumes that there is a place for everyone. Yes. And but is that place desirable? So anyway, um, who whoever wrote this, 
fucking A. Good job. I'm sorry it was only number three. Um, well done, Ringo Starr. <laughs> so the Pete best. Um, you were you really were the best. So I put it in second, ten points. You put it in third, nine points, and the patrons put it in fourth, eight points. Huh. Which means it's not a guaranteed lock for number one, which one might have also thought was going to happen with the Beals. Mm-hmm. So interesting. Now, at long last, we do have a clip we of our next song. We do have a clip, and uh, I think that you should listen to the instructions contained therein and issued by Ms. Gloria Estefan. Here we go. I mean, sorry for the whiplash. First of all, to go from Eleanor Rigby to this is a lot. I understand. Um, I have always loved this song. I think it's a real shame that it only got to number 11. I used to wait for it to come on the radio when it was like contemporarily a hit, hoping it would come on. And it didn't that often because 11. This song Qua song, like there's not a whole lot I can say to sell my point of view. Um, <laughs> lyrically, it is very basic, but and you know, it's very uh, not cynical, I don't think, but like a, a little bit calculated, let's say, in terms of like, let's have this like peppy go get them lyric that will be an appealing thing to play at the events of sport. And you actually never hear it, which is a shame. Um, Every single 80s thing is in the bridge. Um, (laughs) Literally every 80s thing. Like, I think they are using Ronald Reagan's skeleton as a xylophone. Fine. And I'm pretty sure that the the drums are being hit with mallets wrapped in scrunchies. Yep. (laughs) They absolutely are. Um, everyone's wearing rubber bracelets. It's fine. Um, but there is something about this chord progression. There is something about these, like the horns, which are also very eighties, you know, blatty and they sound a little cheap. And there's something about Gloria Estefan herself and this persona where she's like aspirationally fun. Like she's not... She's a, you know, great pop singer, but she's not like this out of reach Beyonce goddess who in the Greco-Roman conception would be effulgent and 10 feet tall and would barely fit in your room. She is someone that you actually might know who is excited for you to have fun. Um, And I, I have always received this song as a pep talk and also like... Yeah, like we we know that you are terrible at dancing and have 17 left feet and it's fine. Just just get on your feet and like get out of your rut. 
put a smile on. It's going to work. Trust me. Um, I've always loved this song and it's my number one. It's not a defensible position, but I did my best. 11 points. Good luck, girl. Thanks for everything. I would never, ever tell you that your joy is wrong for one thing. (laughs) Except now. No, I mean, I have. So this song's title was paraphrased when a Gloria Estefan bio musical made it to Broadway. It Mm -hmm. was called simply On Your Feet with, of course, an exclamation point in the title. Yeah. And that show, much like the way you just described this song, was so clearly a corporate product, Mm -hmm. but it was so much fun. Yeah. Then there was a part when they sang, when the company sang Get On Your Feet, they danced around. Everybody in the theater got up. I can't remember if it was in this or conga that they were actually in the aisles of the theater. But the point is, you left that show having gotten up and shaken your tush and everybody was in a good mood. And it is not easy to make everybody in a room feel better. Yeah. But this show and this song accomplished it. And how can you feel sad when that clip is playing, for instance, like there's yeah. just something so satisfying about the way that the chords, the, the notes of the line get on your feet. It just it's just good. And you're so right that Gloria Estefan sounds great, but she also sounds like your neighbor. And yeah. there is something so appealing about the fact that this is a party I can go to. Yes, exactly. Like, am I ever going to go to a Beyonce party? No, and I shouldn't. That's that's not it. That's not how the universe works. But a party at the Estefans, absolutely. And you just totally feel like that they would welcome you in, and mm-hmm. you would be welcome to have snacks. And if you brought a snack in a Tupperware, they'd be like, "Oh, great!" And then they would just take the lid off the Tupperware because they don't stand on ceremony, and they would put a spoon in it, and you would just take the dip out of the Tupperware directly. They don't need to put it in a bowl. Yeah, no, they don't. But also. No matter what time you leave, someone is going to wash out that Tupperware and put a little post-it that's like Bunsy's Tupperware. That's right. Mm-hmm. That's exactly right. Now, I probably, this is actually a song that moved around a lot for me because it makes me so happy when I'm listening to it. And that I just kept, there were other songs that I just kept being like, but this one, mm, mm. So I really, really like this song, even though for me it is only in eighth place. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah, I had a couple songs like that that it's like, I thought, you know, I do really love you, but here you are. (laughs) Yeah. And but listen, if you were to come up to me, sneak up behind me and play this song, I would first jump from being surprised and maybe a little scared. But then I would jump because I was following the instructions Mm -hmm. to get on my feet. Um, The patrons apparently were not in a joyous place. Okay. Well. And they put this down in 10th. Oh, no. Okay. Well. Which, you know, listen, everybody follow your hearts. Uh, y'all can go listen to Barracuda. Great. Mm. Um, but there we are. Yeah. So well, this is, listen. is this going to be one of those where like everyone is tied for third and then there's one song that's like in 11th? This is going to be I weird. Mean, maybe. Jesus. We already do have a tie, I will say, and over only five songs in. Oh, God. Um, okay. Now, Sarah, talk about a song that bounced around a lot in the rankings for me, at least. <laughs> and that is The Humpty Dance by oh, Digital Underground. What a what a delight to revisit. We don't have a clip of this one, but what a delight. Um, and also, uh, may Shock G rest in peace. 
Um, he is Humpty. He's got the he's the MC here, and uh, we lost him last year. Um, I spent twenty minutes, half an hour, listening to other Shock G stuff like um, Tupac um, and other stuff that he did for like Murr. I, I mean, he he was like kind of all over the place as a producer, but his vocal had that. Um, remember when we talked about Positive K? Oh, yes. And there's the, I feel like they have this similar energy that's like, we are confident enough in our like actual serious bona fides that we can fuck around with some like jokey stuff. Yes, because I actually didn't realize until possibly eight days ago that Humpty Hump was just a persona that Shock G created. Because when this song was popular, I was 11. Right. So, I was just like, that's Humpty Hump. He's in Digital Underground. Nope, just a persona. And you're right. To create a persona as goofy as Humpty Hump really shows that he was very confident in what he was doing. And he, who came back on like, you know, like guys tracks that we still listen to those tracks and still listen to those guys, even though it's been a quarter century since those tracks came out. And this one is yes. over 30 years old, I think. So like, I mean, the song is too long by like two minutes i'm gonna say but um just for the it's definitely one of those songs that transports me right back to a time and place and sometimes songs don't have to be sometimes it's not about the quality relatively with songs like that but this was a pleasure to revisit and it was just as much a pleasure to like put it back on the shelf in uh, sparkly tissue paper and uh, it was right in the middle for me. Number six, six points. All right. I think that for me, okay, I'm, I promise this will get us back to the Humpty Dance. But do you know the song Tyrone by Erica Badu? Probably. So it's a song about how her boyfriend is no good. And all, she's always being asked to cover the bill when they go out because he always invites his friends and his cousins and his friend Tyrone. Mm-hmm. So then she's like, so you better call Tyrone to come get your shit is what she's saying <laughs> in the song. And then the very last line of the song is, but you can't use my phone. Uh, and that uh, shit is so ha. funny. And you know, Erica Badu is such a, she has such a regal presence and mm-hmm. such a, such a sort of centered confidence and she doesn't seem like someone who's going to goof around very much so when erica badu tells a joke (laughs) and it's a funny joke you're like thanks and i think it's something similar here where a line like but you can't use my phone is so memorable it makes you love a song and humpty dance the humpty dance is replete with Mm -hmm. song with lines that one wants to constantly uh recite like i once got busy in a burger king bathroom oh and they're um, still all over the culture all the time. Like the number of them that like came up and I was like, oh my God, somebody just said that shit on Twitter yesterday. Amazing. Yes. Um, look at me, I'm skinny. That never stopped me from getting busy. And then also I get stupid. I shoot an arrow like Cupid. I use a word that don't mean nothing like loop did. <laughs> like that's the fucking <laughs> shit. Like everybody knows that. Cupid and stupid are terrible rhymes, but then when you push it even further and you invent a word, <laughs> yes. Yeah. That is how you own your your shit. You're like, yeah, I know what I'm doing, and I'm going to take it a step further because I'm actually really very smart and talented. F you, 
And the fact that he's able to make this song funny, the beat is dope. Sarah, this is my number three. Yeah, I think that's legit. Like, I wasn't anticipating that when we started, but I could not deny it. Every time this song came on, I was I felt I wished I was in a room full of people holding red silo cups because so we could all be like, oh, oh, man. I mean, it, it really has held up. Um, I felt contemporaneously like this had gone higher, but I think it was just one of those like novelty songs. And I think radio was still like, well, but like novelty hip hop and he's talking about fucking like every verse. Where do we put it? So I think it, that might have limited it's chartability, but I mean, it's a classic. It's a stone classic, I think. It really is. Now, the patrons agreed with you completely. They put it also in sixth place, giving it six points as well. Now, Sarah, oh boy. <laughs> we do have a clip for the next song. Um, the KLF were a group of British producers. Uh, well, just two guys, really, Bill Drummond and Jimmy Cauty. They had had a group in the 80s called the Time Lords. They changed their names like over and over and over again. They had a huge hit in the early 90s with a song called 3 A.M. Eternal, which was one of the first really big crossover house music hits. And the KLF was all about trying to use music to disrupt the culture, kind of the way that Chumbawamba was an anarchist group. KLF really wanted to fuck with our mental state of course i mean there's only so much you can do that when you're releasing a song on a major label and it's got a chorus and a hot beat but whatever right but it was sort of like the residents that they're like all dressed as eyeballs and it's sort of an open secret that it who it is but then there's this whole like mythos next to it that forces you to examine your own relationship with pop music myth making yes question mark yeah okay so they're basically the, if you spend too much time looking at the quote philosophy of the KLF, you might end up in the hospital because yeah, it's so it's, exhausting. It is dehydrating for sure. But somehow in the midst of all this, they also created dope ass songs, at least a few of them, because I actually got their album, The White Room from Columbia House, of course. <laughs> sure. um, but after 3 a.m. Eternal reached number five, they reached number 11 with justified and ancient now this is not the original version of the song this is a remix that they did where they invited tammy wynette country music superstar to sing on a song that is about a group of fictional people called the moomoos who are trying to get to moomoo land which is some fictional land they steal an ice cream truck they drive there they're having a party on the way they call tammy wynette and say, please support us in our efforts to get back to our homeland. And she apparently obliges. I mean, who the fuck knows? The, so the jams like, cult has its own separate Wikipedia page. We'll link it in the show notes. It's, yes, I mean, so, don't click on it. I'm just saying it exists. The jams stands for justified ancients of Mumu, which is the cult of people trying to get back to Mumu land. Mm-hmm. Like girl, who knows? So before we go on about what this all becomes, let's just listen to a clip of this odd little story song. They call me up in Tennessee. They said, Tammy, stand by the jam. But if you don't like what they're going to do, better not stop the party coming through. 
So yes, Sarah, we have tribal chanting of people saying "Ancients of Moo Moo." We have an R and B style hook. We have Tammy Wynette singing country. We have an acoustic guitar underneath her. We have a house beat. Later on in the song, we have a rap about the Moo Moos. We have basically 96 parts that are stitched together. And for me, Sarah, I I truly believe this. We have one of the greatest pop songs of all time. I really think this is one of, I love this song so much. It should not work. It does not make any sense, but the audacity of it is part of why I love it because what kind of blithe confidence does it take to make an entire mythology and then set it to a beat and then to have the musical aptitude to put all these pieces together into something that you can understand the first time you hear it that has such a great chorus, such a great hook, great vocals from Tammy Wynette. It is so satisfying. It makes me want to dance every time I hear it. I honestly swear to God, think this is one of the best pop songs of all time. Unsurprisingly, therefore, it is my number one. I love this song, especially because it is so inexplicable that it was ever a hit. I can't believe it made it as high as number 11. The fact that it was released as a single at all. The fact that Tammy Wynette didn't sue these people for trying to contact her in the first place. Like, what the fuck? How did this happen? But it did happen, and it brings me so much joy. I have loved this song since I bought the cassette single in 1991. I will never stop loving it. It is truly a song I could listen to every day for the rest of my life and be happy. Again, number one for me. Well, um, as much as I'd like to stand by your jams, that's <laughs> not quite where I am. Um, I don't hate this, um, but there is something about, and I think this might actually be another place where having lived through as like a voting adult, a lot of this weird... Um, Weird for its own sake. Um, Twin Peaks, Peewee, Weirdosity mashup shit. Um, that this just felt, this feels a lot more dated to me than I think it did mm. to you. I think it's maybe hitting you on a more visceral level. Um, with that said, it it works better than it should like I said, I don't dislike it, and I think there is something quite um, touching uh, about the fact that it is the late Ms. Wynette, and that she seems really happy and humbled to have been asked for her help versus offered help herself. Do you know what I mean? Yes. Like, yes. that she is the the savior versus... Um, for instance, I, I learned in the course of researching this song that she f probably faked her own kidnapping in order to um, hide the fact that George Ritchie had beaten her again. Um, you mean George Jones? Wait. No, this was after, this was after no. George Jones. Husband. Oh my, well, good whatever. on you. I did not know any of this. Mm. Sorry, carry on. Um, yeah, it is... Uh, I think it's in a recent issue of bestevidence.fyi if anyone wants to dig into that sad tale. I mean, Wynette and George Jones, that's a whole other conversation. But uh, it is it is nice to see Tammy Wynette in the guise of like the um, powerful muse in in this dance, dance-a-verse. Um, 
but it just feels a little um you got your like crayon in my peanut butter kind of I don't know like there's just something where it doesn't get me the way it gets you um it is and it is both charming and also kind of forgettable to me on the song level like I don't that like the beat is not quite it needs to be either slower or faster or heavier or something um it, like it's it's, it's tense. I mean, again, I don't dislike it. I don't dislike any of these songs, but this just did not, this just felt like uh, a row of the parts to me more than a unified whole. Um, but your joyful response to it um, makes me happy. And Tammy Wynette sounded great and seemed really happy to be there. And that's not nothing. Well, listen, I completely respect that, of course. I do want to note that this song reached the top 10 in many other countries. It was number three in Australia, number one in Austria, number yeah, eight in Canada. Austrians would be super into this shit. <laughs> I don't know yes, exactly. Number three in Germany, number yeah. two in Greece, number four in Ireland, and number two in the UK. Like, it's definitely uh, hitting that Euro house sound of the time. But yeah, yeah. It's just always really, really done it for me. Um, I noticed in the comments of the poll that we put up on Patreon that a couple of people hadn't heard this song before, and then they listened to it and gave it one of their votes. So I was, I feel good about that. I see y'all. The patrons ended up putting this in eighth place, mm. which means that now this is the third song that has basically ridden the fact that none of us can agree on anything to 17 points total. <laughs> <laughs> like I said... It's a, it's a race to third place today. Now, the next song is another one that I also brought to the table because I wanted to make sure that we had something from beyond the year 2000 on this countdown. Uh, and I also quite like this song, so bonus. This is Mean by Taylor Swift, a song that she wrote by herself before she was 21, which I think is really impressive, personally. This song ostensibly was written in response to a music critic saying that she wasn't a good singer when she had a duet with previous Countdown uh, artist Stevie Nicks at the Grammys. But I think one of the reasons this song succeeds is that it actually ends up being about more than just Taylor Swift's uh, subjective experience, though there is a reference to that in the bridge. This song really is about people who are being emotionally or even perhaps physically abused, but finding in themselves the confidence that they're going to be better than all this shit and they're not going to let it keep them down. It has, I think a really lovely jaunty sound. I think the lyrics are a plus. She's such a great lyricist, I think. And, uh, yeah, I'm a Swifty, I suppose. But anyway, here's a clip from mean. I bet you got pushed around. Somebody made you call, but the cycle ends right now. Cause you can't leave me down that road and you, Now, I understand that country, a song that sounds this country and 
features this twangy of a vocal might be for some like kombucha. You either like it or you don't. There's no middle ground. But for me, it's definitely a like. Uh, and I put this song in fifth place and gave it seven points. And Sarah, before we hear your thoughts, I do want to note that the patrons put it dead last, oh. 11th place, one point from them. So we're very much misaligned, the patrons and I, on this one. But I'm curious to hear where you put the song. Well, you and I are arm in arm. I also put it in fifth, seven points. Hey, great. Um, So, yeah, I actually prefer, like, the more country with a K T-Swift is, the better I like her. Um, I often struggle to engage with her. I'm not sure why that is. Um, we did talk at some length about a song that I sort of started out being like, ugh, and then like talked myself back around to liking. Yes, that was uh, Soon You'll Get Better mm-hmm. uh, from a few years ago. Yeah, that I was like, ugh, whatever. And then by the end, I was like, and I just like to thank her for writing this. Li-. I mean, whatever. Um, I, I like her, all of her shit fine. Like, there's nothing. There's nothing about her song craft that is like repellent. I don't have a problem with her. I'm glad she exists. I have a ton of respect for her output and her status. But sometimes it's just like I I feel like I'm being asked by the culture to pick a side that is not necessary to pick. Um, And also she has a gazillion people on her side and good for her. She should. Um, But Every now and then you're reminded why the the culture is interested in her as a um, side-picking prospect, I guess. Um, and it's, it's this, that she sort of, she refuses to stay in one place or like do the expected next diva thing or like she sort of makes the market in herself for, I don't know how else to put it. Um, and I have, as a human woman, a ton of respect for that and think that, uh, you know, it's like David Lynch, even if a lot of it I'm like, uh, no thanks, I'm <laughs> glad that they exist, right? Um, yes. But she, unlike David Lynch, like, I will sit through a David Lynch thing and be like, I'm glad that happened, but I don't want it to happen to me again. Um, her songs often I'm like, Okay, like, yeah, right, that's but Oh, okay, so you tripled that rhyme. Oh, and here it is again. Oh, and then she also has this ability to, even when you go into a sort of, I don't know how to put this exactly, so bear with me, everyone, but, like, the, there's the um, the situation of the song, like, the premise of the song, and you're like, this person has been famous since God was in short pants along with her. So I don't really like, this is going to be a little bit remote from lived experience when she's like, you're a, you know, you're a bully or I'm brokenhearted. And it's like, you have a million houses and I'm not sure I'm going to be able to come with you on this journey. You think you're taking, but she always manages to get at the truth that is available to everyone Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm a little bit surprised by it every time, which maybe is like, maybe that's unfair of me and condescending, but, uh, I also enjoy that experience of being like, I don't know, a minute and 45 seconds into a Taylor Swift song and being like, Oh, this is why she's Taylor Swift. And I'm just some guy. And there's something to be said for that in a, a work of art or pop music that, 
ability to be, like once you're being shown like this is this is genius enjoy re, like re-meeting it like enjoy your reunion with why she's famous so yeah this was an enjoyable one to listen to and unpack and sort of think about why i um why i uh, like her and her songs, even though I don't really know her and her songs that well. Um, and I am a little surprised this didn't get higher, but I think that very determinedly country sound is 95% of the reason. Because lyrically, this should have been number one for like eight weeks. Yeah, I agree. And I think it, it, and it peaked at number two on the country airplay chart. Um, with what at the time was the highest ever amount of listeners for a song at number two. Like this was a massive hit. It also won the Grammy for yes. country song and yes, country did. solo performance. And yeah. so like Taylor Swift was well rewarded for her efforts in creating mean. Uh, and I agree with you that the reason it didn't go into the top 10 almost has to be because it is so countrified. Yeah. I mean, and, there's uh, like, you can, there is a chicken like on the track playing tambourine yeah. and the fiddle. So, yeah, I mean, I, but she's going to be getting like, she's going to be getting royalties from using that in like montages for it forever. Like it's, it's just yes. a good solid song. People will be covering it. It's really good. She's good at what she does. Uh, yes, she is. Okay. Well, next is a song that you brought to the table and I am 98% sure that we have a clip of it. We do. Um, that may not be a good thing. Um, the clip might seem like it goes on and on. It's uh, by Stephen Bishop of the, you know, Tootsie song. This went to 11. I This is one of the few on the list that I'm like, yeah, that's about right. But my primary uh, regret with this song is that no Stephen Bishop managed to get into the um, America's Damp 40. Um, but this song... We have one listener in particular whose mom thinks this song is the jam, but I'm interested to hear what everybody else thought of it. Here's Stephen Bishop's On and On. Oh, Jimmy sits alone in the moonlight Saw his woman kiss another man So he takes a ladder, steals the stars from the sky Puts on Sinatra and starts to cry On and on Keeps on trying And he smiles when he feels like crying On and on, on and on, on and on When the first time is the last time Make you feel so bad But if you I mean, this is like if Jimmy Buffett and um, Bertie Higgins had a kid that was midwifed by Art Garfunkel, which this song actually literally was. Like, Stephen Bishop's whole career is because um, Gar Art Garf was like, yeah, you seem pretty good at this. Um, this song is moist in the extreme. Um, and I mostly ranked it as high as I did because of that line, when the first time is the last time. Like... There is a lot of story in there. And also, you know, puts on Sinatra and starts to cry. Like, there's a lot in there, too. It's not quite Eleanor Rigby levels of <laughs> um, 
poetic density. Uh, but, and, you know, there's like this Calypso situation that's happening is not going to be everyone's favorite or possibly anyone's favorite. I picked the song and it's not even my favorite, but I do have it at number four. All right. And the patrons, I will say, put it in ninth place, which gives it three <laughs> points from them. It was that high. <laughs> oh, boy. Um, so I think that the damp 40 season may have overloaded me on <laughs> soft rock. <laughs> oh, dear. And I think I need to detox from soft mm-hmm. rock for a while. Yep. I find myself like angry at this song. <laughs> oh no oh is this is this this is the 11? one song on the countdown that i don't like uh, yeah um, fair it's not very good i I, th- I honestly think that if we had done this episode before the soft rock season or a year from now i might have been more patient with it but uh-huh. i'm just like i've been listening to music that sounds like this nonstop for like two months and, and reading if you are about not at it? the level of England oh. Dan and John Ford Coley, I don't have time for you. <laughs> if you're not player, play yourself on out. <laughs> Baby, come back. Sake. Oh. Hey, sister golden hair, shave it off. What? I don't know. Shut up, Anne. Anyway, ex- <laughs> exactly. Thank you, former me. Um, oh. So, uh, unsurprisingly, perhaps... I found this song a snooze. It angered me. I feel catatonic when I listen to it. Uh, last place, one point from me. Disgusting blob. <laughs> <laughs> now, we do not have a clip of the next song, Sarah, but I feel like in putting it in seventh place, I'll just say that up front, I think I've done it an injustice. I just couldn't figure out how to make it higher on this countdown, but it is 100% Pure Love by Crystal Waters. This song is so dope. I really, really like it. The only reason I couldn't quite justify putting it higher is that it doesn't have as many parts. It doesn't have Mm. as much happening as some of the songs I ranked higher. But, oh, my God, this is such a fucking great dance song. From the back to the middle and around again, I'm going to be there till the end, 100%, etc. I put it in exactly the same place and had exactly the same battle with where it ended up that I just could not quite get there um the the vocal is actually a little bit booty (laughs) but (laughs) it doesn't matter and that opening synth chime just brings me back to like it it was on this was another like law and order rerun of songs in the summer of 94 that it was like me and my scoop neck dusty rose gap ribbed bodysuit listening to this in the car and then there would be a news break on fm radio about oj fucking simpson like this is where life was in america when this song was on and i am never unhappy to hear this song i think uh, like i wanted to be named crystal so badly or (laughs) ruby or like any gem like thing i wanted to be named and uh, like Crystal Waters, like it had to be pointed out to me that that was probably a 
a stage name or a club name that I was like, what luck that she's named Crystal Waters. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, mom and dad. My my roommate's like, are you a Mennonite? And I was like, what? And she's like, people aren't just named Crystal Waters. <laughs> so I was like, but okay. So actually, I don't know. She could she could have been. Um, this is a great song, and I exactly like you. Like I I thought it was gonna end up in the top half. I assumed going in that it would be in the top three. Um, and it just it just didn't. But this, I mean, this was an extremely, extremely weird ranker, this whole episode, like the possibly the weirdest one we've done. And it, that's just how these things end up. There are a bunch of songs that I'm like, I love it. It's a classic. It's in the bottom half. Yeah. But by the way, yeah. I just looked it up. Crystal Waters is her name. Oh, ha! Fuck you, Estelle. <laughs> Talk to me like her, that. Her, her great aunt is Ethel Waters. Okay. Um, one of the first black vocalists to appear in mainstream Hollywood musicals. Oh, yes. Okay. He says, reading from the Wikipedia page. Mm-hmm. But um, anyway, Crystal Waters, really her name. So take that, everyone. Yeah. And oh, man, being named Crystal is cool. It's almost like she didn't have a choice with a name like Crystal Waters except to become a pop star. Yeah, I'll say. Do you remember her top 10 hit, Gypsy Woman, She's Homeless? Yeah, they that shows up on TV and like montages all the time still. Like she I am surprised that this one only got as high as eleven because it really did seem to be omnipresent when it was out. But that and um Gypsy Woman, like that shows up in like flashback sequences. They both do all the time. Like Crystal Waters is you know, counting money somewhere, I hope, and good for her, because they're both bangers. Well, it's also worth pointing out that this song, though it only peaked at number 11, was on the Hot 100 for 45 weeks. Yeah. That is a very long run, especially for the early 90s. In fact, in 94, 95, when this song was charting, that was one of the longest runs on the Hot 100 of all time. So... This is a song that was much more popular than its rank would suggest. It's kind of like how I Don't Want to Wait by Paula Cole, a number 11 hit that we've discussed in an earlier episode, was on the chart for so long that it ended up being the 10th biggest hit of that whole year. Mm-hmm. So sometimes being number 11 uh, is a hurdle that can be overcome. And I would say that Crystal Waters certainly did overcome it. Yeah, I think so. Now, our last song is the only that's not true. It's one of two top 20 hits by the band Dead or Alive, but the only one that anyone can remember. Um, Famously fronted by British eccentric Pete Burns, Dead or Alive was a British dance pop group whose hits were produced by Stock, Aitken, and Waterman, the same trio of producers who gave us Never Gonna Give You Up and Together Forever by Rick Astley, Uh Kylie Minogue's version of The Locomotion. So, you know, but I feel like that something about Pete Burns and his weird aesthetic pushed them to sound a little funkier and harder than they did with Rick Astley. And that brings us to you spin me round parentheses like a record. Um, I would also like to note that I believe this came off an album called mad, bad and dangerous to know. Um, see you over oh, no, it this again. Was from their this. album youth quake. Oh, excuse me. 
their next album was Mad Bad and Dangerous yes. to Know. Yes, well, and um, apparently it was somewhat dangerous to know because I had not heard of it before. But um, yeah, like Byron and Dylan McKay, that's them and that's me. Here's a clip. And this is the other song that was sampled for a song that later went to number one. That's Right Round by Flo Rida featuring Kesha. So this song ended up getting something of a rebirth uh, about 20 years later. But Sarah, I think that this one, it, first of all, I mean, I heard you laughing at that melodramatic vocal there. I and love how it. could you not? I love it. Even he it's is so- laughing. That's why that vocal is so weird. He's trying not to giggle. It's just, it's a great example of why sometimes it's perfect to do the most. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Or just like, hey, it's pop music. It's supposed to be fun. Can we have some fun in here? I mean, yeah. this is a really, I'm surprised that this got to as high as number 11. And it's very high in my ranking, spoiler. But here's why I, am, here's why I was like, this got all the way to 11. The vocal doesn't come in until like two thirds of the way. And then it's what we heard. It's not good. I mean, it's <laughs> it's great, but it's not good. So, exactly right. That's very well said. And the synth line is like, there is a, I have more patience with this than a lot of people, I think, but there's like a whole evolving noodly thing happening with the synth and like drum lines changing up. And it's like, this is a dance hit this had no business crossing over it's like almost academically house if that makes any sense um it this i mean the vocal is unpleasant and also late and also um high but it it works and this one is so much better and more fun than i remember I remembered this, like, in my mind, this was sort of like that Information Society song that I despise. Um, uh, tell me what's on your mind. Oh, um, like, here's yeah, what's on my energy. mind. This song is a butt and a half. But this was like, I, I was like, wait, I don't actually know where we are. And I'm just sort of like following this little schmigadoon style map into this song and being like, isn't someone supposed to be singing? Like, I'm pretty sure there's a lyric at some point. And then finally it comes in and it was like, oh, hey, buddy, how many edibles did you say? I, I mean, <laughs> it was like really fun. And then I listened to it again and I was like, this is just a good song. I mean, the fact that I didn't remember it accurately at all, and then I got to meet it again as an adult and be like, oh, this is this is great. Uh, this was my number two. Ten points. Yeah. Well, and there's something about this song, you know, like I was saying before with the Rick Astley songs, I love those songs. I just saw Rick Astley live as part of a something called the Mixtape Tour. 
Um, but they, they have a cleanness and a brightness to them. And there's something just dirty about this song. And I don't mean yeah. pornographic. I mean, like, you feel like there might actually be dirt on the collar of the people who made this song. Like, they didn't take a bath today. Mm-hmm. And I don't know how to explain that. It just has a dark, slightly ominous quality. And yet it's also made of cheap sense. And it's so, so fucking catchy. And I just love it. I love that it's performing edginess and it's so campy and pete burns himself was so campy and oh r.i.p pete burns so i also love this song i put it in fourth place with eight points and the patrons loved it most of all they put it in a solid first with 11 points i mean here's here's the thing about this song that i sort of just realized based on your comments um about it sounding dirty a lot of songs like this, like even though they're good and enjoyable and do what they're supposed to do as dance slash house hits um, and sort of get your get your butt in motion, um, they can sound just sort of pre-programmed. Like it just sounds like the presets and like the presets are good enough and like here's a R&B vocal over it and we didn't right. work that hard on it. This sounds more built and thought about by humans. Yes. Even though it was like the story was run through a, a Moog, it it sounds like thought was put into it in terms of the narrative terrain. And it's sort of like everything that um, isn't happening in terms of narrative flow in Edge of Seventeen and Barracuda for me. That's that's very correct. I would agree with you completely. Well, now let's use the magic of editing to make it seem like I'm going to instantly be able to give you our results. All right. So, Dara, I'm just going to run down uh, from number 11 all the way up to number one. Now, I think it's a sign that support was really broad for all of these songs, that even our 11th place song still has 10 points. Oh, and I think at least it got to 10 di- somehow. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> but getting into double digits is pretty good, because if we had all hated a song, mm-hmm. it would have had like five points, you know? Which is usually um, there's one consensus cursed. Yeah. Item. And there was no consensus here, but the, the result is that, unfortunately, for the second time, peaking at number 11, it's the Thompson Twins oh, with Dr. Doctor. Oh, Dr. Doctor. <laughs> and then at, in 10th place with 12 points, we have On and On by Stephen Bishop. Mm-hmm. In 9th place with 15 points, uh, we have Mean by Taylor Swift. In eighth place with 16 points, we have Barracuda by Hart. And then in a tie for seventh place with 17 points, we have one, two, three, four songs, Sarah. Okay. Edge of 17, Get on Your Feet, Justified and Ancient, and 100% Pure Love. That is, 
that is a lot of firepower with the in seventh place or i guess fifth place or yeah i mean however you want to parse it but then that means that the next ranking is the podium. We go from seventh all the way up to third. Okay, let's do it. Sarah in third place with 21 points. The Humpty Dance yeah! is your chance. <laughs> Love it. In second place, silver medal this time. Not 11. Now it's number two. 26 points for You Spin Me Round. Uh-huh. Oh, God. And then with but one point more at 27 points. It's Eleanor Rigby at number one. Amazing. You know what? I, I mean, I love doing these rankers for exactly this reason. Um, but what a journey we all went on with that. And I would, if you had told me, if you would come back from, you know, the future and been like, oh, Eleanor Rigby's going to be the consensus number one in this. Like, even though it's only by a point, I would have been like, fuck out of here. I know. I agree with you. And interestingly, Eleanor Rigby, it was fourth for the patrons, second for me, third for you. It never it wasn't anybody's number one choice individually. But right, collectively, but we all had such avant garde number one picks that. <laughs> hey, Eleanor, you're all alone again, but at the top of the rank. Hey, girl, it might be lonely up there, but at least you've got the best view. Yeah. Sarah, it goes without saying that you are number one in my heart and you've been there for 180 weeks um and you go to 11 in my heart every day um folks we're actually not quite done talking about number 11 so if you're within the sound of our voices and have not joined our patreon page again we welcome you patreon.com slash mastass uh this month's single only for patreon supporters will be about even more number 11s Thanks for listening. Tell it to me, spin it out. If you push me, I'll just get out. Tell it to me. Mark and Sarah Talk About Songs is hosted by Mark Blankenship. That's me and Sarah D. Bunting. That's me. I also edit the podcast, which is a proud member of the Believe Network. Learn more at BLEAV.com. To learn more about us, submit song requests, get a pop chart reading, or buy a Mastis book, visit our website at MarkandSarahTalkAboutSongs.com. You'll also find all of our social media links there, too. That's Mark and Sarah, with an H, TalkAboutSongs.com. And for even more content and access to the Mastass Happy Hour, become a Patreon supporter at Patreon.com slash Mastass. Thanks for listening. Couple other rounds ahead, getting closer. No, I won't slow down just a little longer. Think about it. What's the next move? Mark and Sarah talk about songs. Mark and Sarah talk about songs. Thank you for listening to Believe. 
You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.